This is the Inside Out Story Podcast, a place where we take you deep into the world of storytelling. Now, here are your hosts, John Booker and Jeremy Casper. Welcome to the Inside Out Story Podcast. My name is John Booker, and I'm interested in why we tell stories. And I'm Jeremy Casper, and I am interested in the how we tell stories. And we are really excited about our guest that we have on the show today. Uh, Pamela Douglas is joining us. And uh, Pamela is an award-winning television writer. Uh, She's a tenured professor at the University of Southern California, where she has pioneered their television writing curriculum there. And uh, Pamela, you've written three books that I I hope we have a chance to talk about each one today. Uh, Your latest book, The Future of Television, Your Guide to Creating TV in the New World. Uh, That one just came out very recently. I would love to hear uh, some more information about that book. Um, Also, Writing the TV Drama Series uh, is another book that she's very well known for. I think you're in your third edition on that book now. And then uh, another book that uh, I hope we get to talk about a little bit too is your book, Back to Life. Uh, a journey of transformation through back surgery. And I know John and I are so interested in not only uh, the why and the how we tell stories, but um, I resonate with the stories in life uh, of characters who've gone through transformations. And it sounds like you've gone through some personal transformations and rediscovering your own art. And I hope that we have a chance to talk about that some today. So thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. You're very welcome. Happy to talk to you. Well, great. Well, I'd love to start out the conversation sort of broad, and then we can get a little bit uh, more specific as we go on. Um, But uh, John and I are so interested in the art of storytelling not just the nuts and the bolts Um, so I'm curious what are the kinds of characters and stories that you resonate with uh, the most I'm glad you mentioned that it all comes from character because one mistake people make is to put plot first but after all where does a story come from it comes from something somebody wants needs desperately desires Uh, dealing with getting past whatever oppositions or setbacks there are in life. And that's not different from writing a story for screen or for that matter for novels or for stage. Uh, For me, the characters that uh, I love to watch and write are the ones with secret dimensions. Mm. In other words, just because somebody seems to be, excuse me, You'll edit that. Um, Just because somebody seems to be, for example, a successful career woman, doesn't mean she doesn't have uh, other uh, internal conflicts, that she doesn't have other levels of desire or fear, uh, that the vulnerabilities aren't there to be discovered. And when you think of a character you really have to think of that dimensionality. Uh, I do this in life. I, w- walking down the street, perhaps I see somebody who is, uh, let's say a homeless person pa- pushing a cart. And I don't say to myself, okay, here is a category. Mm-hmm. Homeless person pushing cart. I say to myself, that person was once a child. Mm-hmm. Did somebody once love that person? Mm-hmm. Uh, what did that person wish for at age 10, Mm. at age 21? Mm. Was there ever a moment where a choice could have been made and it could have gone some other way? Or is this person really happy 
with street living for some reason. <laughs> mm-hmm. Is that actually uh, the story of this person's life, that, Nate, that freedom of having dropped out? Who is this person beyond the public facade, beyond the mask? And you can do this with people up and down the social ladder. I chose somebody who is easily dismissed and ignored on the street. But you could do the same thing with somebody in a very high position and ask, what were the points of change? What were the decision moments? What is the driver Hmm. in their personal lives? And from that, you can also ask the opposite question. What was the battle? that led them to this. And that's all story making. Mm, absolutely. How, how different the world would be if we could all uh, in, encounter and engage people considering their stories in life. Well, you know, writers develop this habit of collecting characters, mm. of imagining detail, and I think so much is in the details, about what really goes into making this a person. Let me give you a strange example from something I was writing rather rather recently, and this is so out of, out of the routine of uh, anything else I'm doing or whatever, but it happens to be a character of a woman I was asked to deal with in a script uh, who was set in 1949. Now I started thinking about this person long before I would write a word about this person, but I wanted to see and feel the body of this person. I wanted to Mm. be in her apartment and I started discovering things about her. For example, I discovered in my imagining into this character, and again, this doesn't even appear on screen. It's me understanding depth of character. I said to myself, all right, what is a possession that she has that really matters to her? And I thought, you know, she has a nylon bag that she puts her stockings in every Mm. night. And she's so proud of that nylon bag. It's just a simple thing. Because nylon wasn't available during the war. It became available later. And I, then I said to her, what color is the bag? Well, it's a white bag. And where is it in it? Well, it hangs on a doorknob. And uh, what was it like the day she bought that little bag? Uh, did she bring it home uh, in, in one hand, in two hands, in a pocket? Uh, you know, how often does she look at it and inside herself smile? I got that bag. I got that <laughs> little white nylon bag, and mm. that's mine. And it's be- and it says to me, the war is over. Mm. It says to me, I have something pretty. Mm. Um, that, that's a tiny example of going inside your head to fill out things in a character that have nothing to do with story. Because something writers need to know is the, is the character and your script is not what sits on the page. Mm. The character is what sits beyond the page, and the page just captures the part of it that we as viewers are able to see. Mm-hmm. But as writers, we have to know the whole river underneath this iceberg. I love that story, Pamela. That's incredible. And I know that one of the things that my students struggle with so often, and I think, I think all writers struggle mm-hmm. with this, but how do you get what's inside the character outside how do you how do you externalize internal conflicts uh, do you have any 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 thoughts on that any thoughts on processes yeah, and ways I, that writers can do that i do it organically of course there are just plain old techniques you need to know which is uh it, it's useless to put on a page of a script what the character thinks all right. we know on screen is what they do or mm-hmm. what they say mm. uh, you can sometimes do things with imagery but uh 
a mistake made by early writers is to uh, be putting a novel on the page. Mm, uh, yeah. And it's the internal stuff that we don't see, which sometimes leads them to doing voiceover monologues. Or that, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's a gimmick and you know, uh, an excuse for not being able to dramatize it. Mm -hmm. uh, but beyond those basic techniques of reminding yourself that we have to see it or hear it, uh, I think the key is to live it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I don't think it, the answer to it resides specifically in a craft technique. Uh, I, I like to um, actually inhabit a character and uh, if I know this is a scene where these items have to happen because this is where the outline takes me, this is the plot, this is what the story is going to be, before I write anything I go there in a sort of meditative state Hmm. And I actually move around the room. Uh, I see what's there for the character. And I, I try to write, as your title says, from the inside out. In uh -huh. other words, if this character was in this situation and needed to go and get uh, the hammer, because we know the hammer is going to do this or that in the next scene, uh -huh. I want to feel... Uh, why that character is getting that hammer and actually feel that hammer in her hand mm. and know in that moment what the hesitation is mm -hmm. right before. Mm -hmm. uh, so in other words, I'm inside the character mm -hmm. actually doing these things. Uh, I dealt with this with a student in one of my master's thesis class uh, just recently. It was a male writer writing a woman there's no problem if he could have good insight into it. Mm -hmm. But he was writing this female character as if she was a man who happens to wear female clothes. Yes, Which yes. is a common mistake. Yes. Um, and he said, well, I don't want to be prejudiced against women by making her too feminine. And I mm -hmm. said, it has nothing to do with if she's feminine or if she's masculine. It has to do with who is she. Yes. And I then started asking uh, him some very specific questions. Uh, she, this character in a certain scene was standing in the rain, uh, barefoot. And I said, what, what do her feet look like? And it never occurred to him mm. that if he was inside her body, uh -huh. he might look down at her feet. I said, well, are her toenails painted or not? Mm. Uh, if so, how? Or, or if not, you know, was the last time she cut them? <laughs> yeah. um, and then I also said, listen, if she's female and you've got this character standing in the rain, it's not just the plot that, well, she stood in the rain and then she did these actions. I mean, she stood in the rain, you're inside her body, her hair is wet. Mm -hmm. How does she feel? Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, is she cold? You know, all of these things that made her viscerally real. Mm. Again, those things aren't on the page and don't need to be on the page. But I hope it led him to write something that was more authentic to yeah. character, yeah. male mm -hmm. or female. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I, I'm really glad you brought up the, the subject of, of female characters and stories because this is actually something I, I wanted to, to, to ask you about. Um, my world is primarily feature films. That's, that's mm. where I come from. And one of my observational frustrations, not based on any sort of scholarly research, but it does seem like that most of the female characters that I'm seeing, at least in some of the, the Hollywood tentpole films, tend to be characters that are going on journeys which have historically been male journeys and we've just switched out the gender. Yeah. And then we pat ourselves on the back, we step aside and we say, well, look how progressive we're being. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm just, I'm curious, 
what sort of disservice are we doing to to female characters and female stories? Are there certain things that as a writer, regardless of my gender as a writer, are there certain things that I, I, I'm missing when I just, uh, you know, I just go to Joseph Campbell and I just follow the hero's journey and I just, just make it a woman? Um, what, yeah. are, what are some nuances about yeah. the feminine well, first, journey? Uh, first, I want to answer about feature films versus television. Sure, absolutely. My is television. Mm-hmm. I don't think uh, highly of most feature films. Mm-hmm. I know that students sometimes think that that is the ultimate goal, and I think they're, they're wrong. Mm-hmm. Right now, the important literature is in television. Absolutely. The, ground bro- the groundbreaking forms, themes, characterizations, uh, and all of the opportunities are in television. If you define television as including all of the possible outlets, everything on the internet, everything in cable, everything in streaming, uh, everything even in webs, series, limited though they are, um, and everything on traditional network, which is in some cases trying to stretch. Uh, everything that is going to happen on the uh, frontier, including uh, transmedia, virtual reality, and anything else is all television. Hmm. Uh, I think that is the opportunity area, and I think it's the area for artistic uh, exploration. Now, what I would do with female characters is uh, exactly uh, avoid what you said, and mm-hmm. I think you're, you're, you, you pinned it, you got it right. Following the hero's journey or anybody else's journey and just changing gender does nothing for you mm-hmm. in terms of insight. It's imitation with a change that's, that gets you nowhere. Uh, if you look at some of the f- women's characterizations on television, though, you see some uh, more openings, and I'll give you some examples. There, there are many, many, many examples of women who are strong and vulnerable at the same time. Uh, Game of Thrones. Hmm. There are some tremendous women characters, also some tremendous men characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you look at Lena Headley, who plays Cersei, Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if how many of you have seen that stunning episode where she had to walk nude through the town. Mm-hmm. Well, this is the queen. This is a a person who is uh, has tremendous pride. Mm-hmm. What did it take for the actress? What did it take for the character? Uh, but also look at the character of Daenerys, um, the dragon, mother of dragons, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> um, and the arc that she's gone through from the pilot, where she is the most vulnerable, powerless, completely powerless waif of a girl who is married off against her will to somebody who she thinks is a brute. And look at the transformation to her becoming uh, powerful, hmm. not just because she has a title of queen, but because she owns the decisions that she makes. Mm-hmm. And uh, just those two examples, without even going to others, and there are others certainly, um, uh, is one place to say, well, these women are not men. Mm -hmm. Neither one of them Mm -hmm. is a man. Mm -hmm. Both of them are powerful. Both of them had to find and discover their power. That's not the the only one. I'll give you a few more shows, and there are any number that are very, very interesting. Outlander. Outlander has been transformed by the the great showrunner Ron Moore from the books, which are mostly romance novels, Mm -hmm. uh, to a political show 
which is pretty much what he also did with Battlestar Galactica. So mm-hmm. we've now got political allegory uh, as well as character relationships. Um, that's got a woman heading the cast, mm-hmm. important romantic role, and she's not a warrior princess or anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's a woman who finds herself in the 18th century from what happened in the, in the 20th century, and we're now looking at the collision of roles for women between the 1940s and the 1740s. Mm. And it asks those questions about what does it mean to have strength in these times? Where, where does the power reside? Mm. At a time when women had no technical rights at all. And she just doesn't yield. She stays uh, very personally guided the whole mm. time. And it's a fascinating show. It's on stars for those who haven't seen it. Um, I can give you any number of other examples. Let me think of some other that are just uh, huge. Uh, if you go to something that's uh, kind of a fun show, Empire, look at mm-hmm. the character of Cookie. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's loud talking, she's brash, <laughs> uh, she's got all of these qualities that you might consider obnoxious, but she's so much fun because she is in charge mm-hmm. of her domain uh, with all the problems that she's got. Um, it's a hip-hop show, it's, it's set in its own cultural world, uh, but again, Cookie isn't a guy, and yeah. can't be a guy. Yeah. So nobody says, this is a guy that's being a woman, this mm-hmm. is who she is. Yeah. Uh, gosh, I could go on and on with fine examples, I'm just uh, masters of sex. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Kerry Washington and Scandal, Leonard Dunham and Girls. Mm-hmm. Uh, it goes on and on, yes, mm-hmm. yes, on television. Uh, it's not that television has cured everything. Mm-hmm. It hasn't. Um, behind the scenes, we still have an imbalance of male to females in the executive suite, mm-hmm. among writers, among everything. But it's better than feature films. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, I just I'm curious along those same lines. Do you think the fact that we're seeing, um, um, uh, for the lack of a better term, more fleshed out female characters in television, is that just the state of the industry, that that's just what the industry is allowing now? Or is there something unique about the medium of television that lends itself better to those kinds of stories? I, th- I think it's both. Um, I think television is in a unique place right now, generally. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are in a vortex of change, the likes of which we've never seen since the beginning of the industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is not just more outlets, it's not just more shows, although goodness knows there's too many good shows to even try to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, and more keep coming. <laughs> uh, it's not just the size of the audience, which is way bigger than feature films. Uh, I think there's something going on in the, in the air and water of television right now that says if you don't take a chance if you don't become more authentic, if you don't tell the stories that you can tell, uh, someone else will, A, but B, uh, you're just out of the loop because you missed the boat. Yeah. Uh, this is your moment right mm-hmm. now. This is your moment. Uh, there are outlets that are still very difficult to get into. I mean, some beginning writer's not going to write for HBO or Netflix. Mm-hmm. but you look around at the smaller cable channels, you look around at what's on the internet, and there are plenty of ways uh, to practice your art and craft and hone your skills and write whatever it is that you would like to write. Uh, the, uh, just yesterday, I taught a class um, and had a guest speaker uh, who runs the LA Web Fest. Mm-hmm. 
uh, Michael Ajakwe. Uh, and Michael was making a pitch to my students. Uh, now the students, I should tell you, are all at the USC School of Cinematic Arts uh, because they're looking for careers, big time careers, in the mainstream media. Mm -hmm. uh, so they're not that fond of, uh, of doing some little web, they might do some little web series for a class or <laughs> in the way one would do a short film, but uh, you know, they really weren't that open to it. But Michael made a strong pitch to them, which was, listen, you can be your own boss here. If there's a story you want to tell, uh, don't bend it to what somebody else wants. Mm. Try it yourself in a web series. See if you can make it work. If you can, then maybe you go ahead and let that show go to some more established medium, or at least learn whether it's working. He says, don't give up. Mm. Don't give up on your own characters that you know from whatever your culture, your life, your background, your interests are. Write what you want, mm. completely unfiltered. Uh, you can't do that if you're working on a show. I mean, you're working on a show and you're sure. right for the characters that are on that show. Uh, but he was encouraging them to say, you don't, you don't have to, you, you really don't have to imitate now. Hmm. Feature films do have to imitate. The budgets are high. There's a shrinking number of feature films. Most of them are tentpole features that are getting made, mm -hmm. unless you're talking about the indie circuit. Um, and they don't want to take the chance by gambling on those big investments by doing something that is not based on underlying material mm -hmm. or right. is, a, is not a sequel to something. Mm -hmm. Television also has underlying material. Uh, certainly The Walking Dead is based on a graphic novel and uh, Game of Thrones based on novels. Outlander was based on novels. You know, so a lot of television is also based on underlying material. Uh, but it is not limited that much and you can do look at Breaking Bad. Breaking mm -hmm. Bad had no underlying material. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think it's an opportunity uh, that exists now and will actually grow. Mm. Pam, you, <clears throat> you, you speak of a lot of these new uh, uh, you know, opportunities for writers and one thing that, uh, that we talk about a lot are, are the, the themes that are now available to writers that we've never really been able to explore uh, before. You know, um, uh, the, the trans community uh, is, is able to explore um, their culture and their life in ways we've never seen. Uh, LGBTQ uh, world is, is, is in the living rooms of mainstream America like we've never seen before. Um, can you talk a little bit about uh, the, the, the themes that seem to be the zeitgeist of the age and what writers need to be paying attention to in order to stay out of just copying what's hot right. but still being on top of the culture. Right. Uh, well, first I want to you know give a nod to Transparent, mm -hmm. which you were referring to, which is Amazon. Mm -hmm. I had uh, low expectations of Amazon. I really <laughs> did when they first mm -hmm. came on. And in my book, In the Future of Television, Amazon was still new and they were doing this crowdsourcing game stuff and I didn't think they were going to do anything good. Mm. Um, they changed and they decided to uh, you know, play in the big leagues. Mm. Uh, so That's mostly about budget, honestly. It's mm -hmm. about uh, uh, not just letting Jill Soloway uh, do what she wanted with Transparent, but also funding it yeah. uh, and staying with it and not saying, you know, your audience isn't big enough, we're going to cut this off. So, uh, you know, kudos to Amazon. 
and everybody else who is taking those chances. So some of it is driven by a different way of measuring the audience and different needs on subscription services, whether that's HBO, Showtime, Stars, Amazon, Netflix. Um, they don't need to measure audience the way traditional networks did uh, because they don't care how many of their shows that you watch. They only care that you subscribe and, and like at least one of them. <laughs> so uh, it's, they can take chances never been taken before. But even if you go off of the subscription services uh, and you look at traditional networks, uh, you find that while I don't know that they, uh, in effect, got religion and decided to be good because they wanted to, <laughs> uh, I, I think that they perceived that, uh, that the public has changed, mm -hmm. uh, that people uh, are no longer settling because you don't have to. Mm -hmm. Back in the days when there were only three networks, and that was all you could watch. You had to like what was on or you weren't watching anything and there wasn't any computers at that time, so you, you were just staring at the wall. Um, and that's long gone, that's mm -hmm. long gone. Uh, so you see ABC doing all the Shonda Rhimes shows on Thursday night and then you see a show like Blackish, mm -hmm. uh, which takes some chances. Uh, you see uh, uh, on other uh, stations, you see Fresh Off the Boat. Mm -hmm. Uh, you see, um, uh, uh, the Hispanic show, which is on the CW, that won some awards. Jane the Virgin. Jane the Virgin. <laughs> you see, Jane the Virgin, mm -hmm. um, which is echoing the form of telenovelas. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there are, there is some reaching out, partly because of the need to attract and hold on to audiences who themselves are changing. Mm. Now an audience that doesn't want to do that because of all that's available from the past can still go watch Leave it to Beaver. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean it's that's there too. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can go on Amazon or Netflix and find these really old shows and if you're offended by anything that's on now you can live in the 1950s mm -hmm. if you want right. to. Uh, you know and some people do yeah. I'm mm -hmm. sure. So it's, uh, this is part of the opportunity, I forget what the question was that you asked. No, yeah, no, <laughs> right. just, just <laughs> talking about themes that are available to oh, writers now. Yeah, I would say in terms of a writer looking for what should you write, I don't think you should look outwards at all. I think you really mm. have to come from, what is it about you that's unique? Mm -hmm. There is no human being that doesn't have some story to tell. Nobody should say to themselves, well, I'm just somebody from the Midwest and you know, I had a nice childhood and I don't have LGBT parents and uh, mm -hmm. there's nothing about me that's special. So I better just imitate something. And the answer to that is no. If that's what you're thinking, then you're not a writer because you haven't looked deep enough or around enough. Mm -hmm. No matter who you are, where you are, mm -hmm. there's something that's unique about you or some story that you're burning to tell. Mm -hmm. And I usually tell uh, my students that where to look is uh, what hurts. Yes, I yes, say, look absolutely. For the most painful thing that mm -hmm. you don't want to write about. Yes. <laughs> and that's it. Yeah. That's your subject. We, we always tell our students that if you're not writing terrified, you're probably not writing anything that's worth reading. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have to have courage. Yeah. You really have to have courage. And, I, you know, I have had writers that uh, I've been guiding who have been crying. Mm -hmm. um, 
and I think it's good. It's not that I'm a meanie. It's it's <laughs> it's that they are now touching something that frightened them, mm-hmm. and I've seen beautiful work come from those places. Mm. If you have the courage, I've also seen people who got scared and ran away. Yeah, but yeah. then then okay, there are other jobs that are non-writing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well, one other quick question for you, just along those lines, just to kind of cap that little section on theme. Um, it, it is something I really appreciated in reading uh, your, your book. Um, uh, you, you had several different significant people from the industry kind of giving advice to writers and talking about writing for television. And uh, one of the uh, people you interviewed and uh, talked to in your book was David Simon. Uh, who I think is is probably the, the top voice <laughs> in American uh, media, if not in the world. But um, he really talked about having something, you know, to say. Um, when do you feel like we we don't get into a lot of the logistics of of, of agents and managers? But when does a writer know? I am ready to take what I have out to others. When do when do you know you have something to say? Right. Well, there's two pieces of this. Let me talk about David Simon first. Mm-hmm. Uh, I agree with you. David Simon is a great gift to literature, uh, to television, uh, to humanity, mm-hmm. uh, because he uh, is an honest man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He is. Uh, willing to put in the work to know the world and the culture and the characters he's writing about. There was no no sloppiness to it. Uh, he spent 15 years on the uh, Baltimore, in the Baltimore Sun, I think, the mm-hmm. newspaper, uh, before writing his book called Homicide. After that, he went and worked for and with uh, Producers who knew the ropes on the show television series Homicide. Mm-hmm. He went at after that. He did a smaller series called The Corner, and only then did he uh, do The Wire. His proposal for The Wire that went to HBO was extensively um, written. Is the craziest proposal I ever saw <laughs> because what he did was uh, he actually wrote treatments for every single episode in the whole first season. Oh, (laughs) wow. And the reason he felt he needed to do that is he felt that there was so much depth and breadth Mm. to what he wanted to do that it wouldn't be comprehensible. Mm. He did less work. Wow. Um, Now, he was already a known commodity at that point. He also knew he had only one place to sell it to, which was HBO. Mm. It's the only place that would do it. And, uh, and, he, and he didn't tell them the truth. He told them he was doing a police procedural. <laughs> so he never told them that they were going to be also about education and media and, and politics and all these other things. Um, but then, uh, in the you know, last years of The Wire, Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans. Mm-hmm. And he decided he really needed to tell the story of the people in New Orleans uh, not from the point of view of the you know national politics, but what it was like to live in a city that had been destroyed mm-hmm. and to try to survive that and actually revive the town. Um, so what he did was, as he said to me, he said he did the reportage. He <laughs> did the work of, an, of a reporter, mm. which is what he had been all his life. And he left the wire, didn't like leave it to 
do nothing, but he, <laughs> he spent a great deal of time, years, actually, in New Orleans while The Wire was finishing mm. to do all of the underlying research, mm. extensive, exhaustive research to who lives here, who are the characters who make a difference, what are the different parts of the city that can play in this show. Wow. Uh, and it's a complicated, difficult show, and that's, that turned out to be Treme. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, most people don't do that underlying investment mm-hmm. in research. In Now, not every show requires research. There are some things that are in the town where you grew up and you, you already know stuff. But this is the opposite of the, the intention that I sometimes hear, which is the wrong one, of let me imitate some big hit that's out there because mm-hmm. if that succeeded, I can do something just like it and make a bunch of money. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one that gets me bugged most of all, because I see this year after year from uh, from new writers, is people who uh, grew up on Buffy the Vampire Slayer when they were young teenagers. Mm-hmm. And that was the beginning and end of their idea of uh, what stories, characters, and television could be. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you how many imitations of Buffy the Vampire Slayer <laughs> I see every year. And I have made a rule in, uh, in my master's thesis classes, and I, I say to them, before you come to my class, no teenagers with superpowers who've saved the world. <laughs> I won't let you write that. And some of them get so upset, and they say, yeah, but mine's better. <laughs> and you know, I say, maybe it is, and maybe it isn't. I have never once seen one that's better. <laughs> right. <laughs> so just don't even do it. And they say, well, what will I write about then? I say, okay, now you're asking the first question, which mm. you should have asked to begin with. Yeah. What will you write about mm. if you're not imitating Buffy? Yeah. If it's not teenagers with superpowers... And the problem also with superpower shows is they tend to be thin. Mm -hmm. Uh, In other words, instead of characterizing somebody, the excuse is, oh, they can do that because they're stronger than steel, Mm -hmm. or or they can fly, or Mm -hmm. something. And that's just an escape from actually doing your work Mm -hmm. as a character builder. Mm. That's so good, so good. Well, along those lines, just all these different shows that you're mentioning, one of the things that um, draws me to television is not just the journey of the main character, but we have incredibly well-developed secondary characters as well. And um, these secondary characters, these these secondary stories, tertiary stories that are happening, um, just seem to be the, the bloodline of television. Um, can you talk a little bit about secondary characters and, and not necessarily subplots, but these sort of parallel uh, narratives that are, are taking place along with the A story. Yes, absolutely. Um, one of the virtues of large ensemble casts, or even small ensemble casts, is that uh, television, which uh, is going to do long narratives, can expand uh, both horizontally and vertically. And what mm. I mean by that is that each of these characters can spin out long-time arcs in the mm. long narrative, but also you can always take a character and go deep. You can go Mm. deep in, Mm -hmm. in terms of what are these characters' secrets or drivers. A good example, there are many fine examples, but one good example is Orange is the New Black. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, They did what they needed to do in the pilot, which is to focus on a single protagonist because you get lost if you field Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. your entire cast at once, uh, although David Simon does it, but he's David Simon. So <laughs> nobody should imitate David Simon because you're not him. Uh, 
But uh, Orange is the New Black um, followed Piper, the character, uh, into a world which we wouldn't have understood unless we were following a, a, a viewpoint character. Mm-hmm. Once there, they uh, did tremendous stories about uh, Crazy Eyes, Suzanne, mm-hmm. um, Tasty. I mean, there's just... Red. Red. <laughs> I mean, it's the entire cast. And you know that, okay, this is going to be the Red episode. Mm-hmm. This is the episode that we're going to... Or, um, what's your name? The one that got pregnant. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Dar- uh, Daya? Daria? Uh, Daya? Is that a name? Dasha? What's... Okay, yeah. we're all forgetting your name. So, <laughs> so we're going to cut that out. Uh, the, the many characters who have facets... Uh, get a chance to live and breathe almost as if they had shows of their own. Mm-hmm. And that's something television can do because of the scale of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you tried to do that in a movie, it just, it'd be in pieces. Yes. But this is one of the strengths of television. Uh, an extreme example of it, of course, is Game of Thrones, where you actually have different kingdoms. But mm-hmm. that's based on books, it's a little bit different. But you will find this idea of parallel storytelling. Uh, in almost every show, and what that means is that these are not plots that are contingent on each other, but are actually freestanding storylines mm-hmm. that can be done separately, uh, and are probably linked thematically. Mm-hmm. If you if you think into it, you see what the connection is yes. between those stories. Uh, but they are actually more char- more development, more characterization, and they l- lapse over. They uh, go ahead and. Uh, elide the end of any episode so that we're really not watching chunks of episodes as you might in a procedural where the crime is solved in one hour. Mm -hmm. There's still some shows like that, but less and less. And in serialized television, we're looking at the ongoing narratives Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. everybody who lives in this world. Um, I wanted to use one other example uh, that I was interested in mentioning. I was going to say something smart, but I forgot. <laughs> While you're thinking, I, mean, I, I think one example is, you know, with Breaking Bad, the characters were so great and oh, so deep. Goodness. Now we have Better Call Saul, uh, and it's... Thank it's, you. Yeah. I was going to mention that. That's what I forgot. Thank you. Yes. Look at the Breaking Bad, mm-hmm. uh, Beloved, mm-hmm. and brilliant writing, Vince Gilligan and his staff. Uh, by the way, shows aren't just written by one person. There's a staff, and Breaking Bad... People say Vince Gilligan is so brilliant, and he is, and he did a wonderful job. He also had a very seasoned writing mm, staff there, mm. and did not write every episode by himself. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, yes, there's Walter White, there's Skyler, there's all the people that we are following, Jesse certainly, but look at the character of Saul Goodman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they decided brilliantly to do a prequel because you couldn't go afterwards because mm-hmm. you know these people had died or whatever. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, generally sequels and prequels are not as good. Better Call Saul is wonderful. Amazing! Yes, it is amazing. <laughs> and I will even go further. Uh, inside Better Call Saul, they do an episode uh, titled Five O, which is about the character of Mike. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's a whole show <laughs> devoted to the backstory. I was weeping at the end of that episode. Of this great character, <laughs> so Mike. Good. If you had seen Breaking Bad, 
you also know Mike's later life, but you don't need to know that yeah. right, to appreciate right. this. And it's a character, a breakout character inside another breakout character, yeah. all from one show. But it also tells you, if you create a strong enough baseline, a full enough cast with enough depth, you can give all of these characters lives. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that is, again, something that television uh, specializes in. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So good, yeah. Do you have any more questions, John? Yeah, one last thing. We've only got uh, a few minutes left here, but um, I, I did want uh, to talk a little bit about the future of television, mm -hmm. which is, uh, I, I think, something that writers really need to be discussing and, and talking about. We've talked about all the the new opportunities, you know, for distribution mediums and streaming, you know, and all these places writers can write. But can you talk a little bit about the future of television and, and where you see things going and what writers need to be thinking about? Yes, absolutely. Um, first comes why I had to write the book. Hmm. Um, writing the TV drama series, the book uh, that was published in uh, 2011, the third, third edition published 2011, uh, continues to be a good craft guide. Mm -hmm. But between 2011 and now, so much had changed mm -hmm. that I, uh, I really felt that I owed it to my readers and to writers coming up to tell them that if you're thinking of writing for traditional networks or even traditional cable stations, open your mind because that's not where things are or th and things are going. That on the one hand you have niche markets where there are things that interest only a few people but are completely viable. Mm -hmm. I like transparent perhaps. Mm -hmm. uh, on the other hand, you have audiences that may never have been interested in watching traditional television that suddenly discover television because of Amazon or Netflix mm -hmm. Uh, or people who are uh, willing to pay mm -hmm. to see something that used to be free because it's so good. Mm -hmm. And uh, we are also seeing the impact of technology in terms of enabling uh, not just quality of image, which certainly is there, but kinds of images too. Uh, there was a time when animation was something for children on Saturday morning mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, with CGI and advanced methods of uh, marrying animation or parts of animation or anyway computer generated effects with live action. Uh, there are things you can make happen on screen that you couldn't do before. So writers don't have to be bound by very much at all. Mm -hmm. You're really bound by your own talent and your own interests uh, and that's it. In addition, the cost of production materials has come down. Mm -hmm. uh, somebody who wants to just give a shot and go around the normal process of agents and managers can actually make or try to make a web series themselves on their iPhone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's no reason the quality of that isn't good enough. And uh, in uh, when I wrote uh, The Future of Television, I really wanted this subtitle, Your Guide to Creating TV in the New World, mm -hmm. because it is a completely new world. It's not just this or that outlet. Mm -hmm. It's a new way of thinking of what is possible. And uh, in this book, I interviewed as many of the makers and the, uh, and the pioneers as 
were available and I really got to lots and lots of people uh, who do world building, who do games, who do the fine line between games and television. Mm. Uh, in order to say to people, hey, broaden your concept of what is possible and, and please use this as a resource. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, Pamela, we cannot thank you enough for yes. uh, coming on and, and being with us. Um, Pamela's books, uh, we, we especially want to highlight the, the future of television, but uh, Pamela Douglas, uh, look her up on Amazon.com, go to your local Barnes & Noble, or if you're a, a teacher teaching writing, go to MWP.com and uh, they'll make you a great deal in ordering bulk of uh, <laughs> these books so you can carry it in the classroom. Um, but Pamela, thank you so thank much. Thank you so for, much. This has uh, been so great. I can listen to you talk all day. <laughs> I actually have about 20 so. more questions, but we'll do that another time. So. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yes, coming soon. But thanks for listening this week. Uh, this is the Inside Out Story Podcast. Take care. Keep telling stories. This is the Inside Out Story Podcast, a place where we take you deep into the world of storytelling. For more information on the story, the host of the show, upcoming speaking engagements and seminars, visit our website at theinsideoutstory.com. The Inside Out Story Podcast is a production of Sideshow Media Group.